You are tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman. Hi, this is Roy Showman, and welcome to Salvation is from the Jews, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church or, seen from the other direction, the fulfillment of Judaism in the Catholic Church. Now, if you've been with us recently, you know that I not infrequently have the great pleasure of welcoming another Jewish Catholic, another Jewish, another Jewish entrant into the Catholic Church on the show as my guest. And today is no exception. In a few minutes, I'll have the great pleasure of welcoming on a, a recent, relatively recent friend of mine, Mark Neugebauer. But before I do, let me um, cover a, a little bit of housekeeping. First of all, if you've missed recent shows and would like to listen to them, they are all archived both on the Radio Maria website, which is radiomaria.us, and also on my website, which is salvationisfromthejews.com. That's all one word, salvationisfromthejews, and then .com. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with me with comments or complaints or compliments or suggestions for topics to be addressed on upcoming shows, you're more than welcome to do so. You can do so either by the email links on my website or directly by emailing me to my last name, which is Shoman, S-C-H-O-E-M-A-N, at catholic.org. So with that uh, brief introduction, let me bring on, uh, perhaps I'll introduce him a little bit, my guest for today, Mark Neugebauer. I was very, very gratified to meet him and to hear his story. And he not atypically found his way to the Catholic Church through Messianic Judaism. He uh, started out, obviously, born and raised Jewish. He came to faith in Jesus and passed through the movement uh, that exploded in the second half of the 20th century, or, or perhaps the last quarter of the 20th century, called Messianic Judaism, which has many thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of Jews who have come to faith in Jesus. And then, uh, through some process or events that I hope he'll share with us, found his way to what I dare to call the fullest form of Christianity, the absolute completion of Judaism in the ultimate form that God provided for the um, sanctification of, of humans on earth and for the best possible eternity for them, which is the Catholic Church and its sacraments. So, with that by way of introduction, uh, are you there, Mark? Yes, I am. Hi, Roy. Hi. Uh, thank you very much for agreeing to join Pleasure. us today. Pleasure. And maybe we should just dive in the deep end, and perhaps you could introduce yourself to our listeners and explain what a nice Jewish boy is doing in a place like this. Well, uh, as you explained, Roy, I was raised in a very traditionally Jewish uh, environment, a cons very conservative one. I was a very faithful synagogue attender, uh, weekly services, Friday night, Saturday morning, midweek, uh, holidays, uh, involved in the choir in the synagogue, and was even contemplating uh, becoming a rabbi, something that I decided not to do because I wasn't sure that I wanted to be involved in, in too stringent a lifestyle. Uh, nevertheless, uh, issues that were strong in my home was the place of Israel because all my father's relatives are there. And also the place of the Holocaust and the uh, the death of the six million uh, during the World War II, my father being a survivor of Auschwitz. 
So those two concepts were very strong in my identity. And for me and for a lot of people around me in my neighborhood, which was primarily Jewish, uh, if you weren't Jewish, you were um, Christian. And uh, the way I looked at the world was divided into two kinds of people. There were people and then non-Jews, if you understand what I'm saying. I, I had a really negative, actually, attitude toward non-Jews because of the environment that I was raised in. So I never, if I can just clarify yeah, this, you, by people you mean the, the, quote, real people were fellow Jews. That's correct. And the others were kind of like extras on the stage. That's correct. People yeah. who would hate us, and especially Jesus. Uh, Jesus was the cause of all of our pain. My father would even say, uh, growing up, it's Jesus who uh, killed our people. The interesting thing, my mother, though, had a different kind of attitude, and she was um, had contacts with uh, Christian friends growing up and uh, who told her that Jesus was actually a Jew. And she would say to me, uh, your father may say that, but remember, Mark, Jesus was a Jew. And that's sort of stuck in my mind as well. And uh, so at one point I found this book called The Nazarene by Shalom Ash. It was written in World War II, during World War II in Yiddish originally, and it was in English, a little book found in my bookcase at home, picked it up, and reading about Yeshua being the Jewish Messiah, which strongly impressed upon my soul something different. And through a few other circumstances, I in the synagogue, I met these uh, two Jewish believers. And I looked at their testimony and said, what do they have? What is it about them? And they told me they were believers in Jesus. And I was actually shocked and horrified. I said, how could you believe in Jesus? I mean, even though I read some things and I listened to Handel's Messiah, and uh, how could you believe in Jesus? Buddha, maybe, you know, if you want to be a, a Muslim, Muhammad, communism, be what you want, but don't believe in Jesus. Look what he did to our people. And they basically said, come over, let's talk about it. And I did. And uh, to be honest with you, when they were sharing messianic prophecies with me, and I was trying to talk them out of Jesus, I didn't really hear anything they said. And, and this was totally revelation for me. I almost felt that God was saying to me, Jesus is the Messiah, he is Lord. I believed, it was the strangest thing, scales came off my eyes, and I knew that he was who he said he was. And this was uh, when I was 19 years old. And uh, I brought home a Hebrew-English New Testament. My parents absolutely freaked out. My sister uh, told them and uh, became a very, started a very, very intense time at home of uh, intense persecution for my faith. Uh, nevertheless, I was a, began attending the Messianic congregation amidst uh, much difficulty at home. My father didn't speak to me for two years at home. Uh, he despised what I was a believer and tried everything he could to get me away from this, the congregation and Jesus. But I found life and I found hope and I found joy in knowing Yeshua as my personal Messiah. Um, in university, I studied Hebrew and Greek and began to, that became my quote-unquote Bible college, and I began to be catechized through the scriptures at university, believe it or not. And at the congregation, I started to get involved in, in Bible, Bible study but early, early on, preaching and teaching. I had a gift for those things, and, and I got involved with every aspect of this Messianic Jewish congregational ministry. May I ask you a couple of questions? Yeah, go about, ahead. Um, when... I mean, it must have been obviously very traumatic and very unpleasant and very difficult to go from being, you know, probably a you know well-beloved son in the heart of your family to being this, um, you know, receiving all that hostility and, and antagonism while you're living at home because you became a believer. So yeah. what I want to ask was whether your interior life, whether your prayer life, whether your sense of God 
um, changed from before being a believer to after being a believer to the point where you got consolation or a sense of the presence of Jesus or something that kind of weighed on the other end of those scales? You're, you're, that's exactly what happened. I, it, it basically forced me to um, to get on my knees a lot in my room and cry out to God for help. And it was there that I would have the, the sweetest, intimate um love fest, if you can call it, between Jesus and myself in my bedroom during these intense times of antagonism and persecution at home. You know, people have to understand that, you know, it's easy to pick up an offense against them, but uh, I had to understand at that time, as I do now, that they didn't understand, they didn't see, and so the response to my parents and my family and my relatives and my friends was not antagonism and anger, but love and mercy, because I was blessed to be able to see who he was, and they were still blinded to a certain extent. So the, the, the fellowship with God was very deep and very beautiful at that time. And how did that compare with your sense of fellowship with God before you became a believer? It's interesting you ask that question. I used to talk to God before, um, because... I went to synagogue and I sort of decided to talk to him. But I, every time I tried to talk to God, all of a sudden I became very fearful um, because you didn't really, we weren't really trained in Jewish practice to talk to God, you know, one to one, like we're like we're praying now, we pray now. And so I'd actually become a little bit afraid because I had this feeling that somehow God was in the ceiling and we were down on the earth and he couldn't really get to us and we couldn't get to him. It was only after I became a believer in Jesus, I remember that verse from Isaiah that says, you know, the Lord's arm is not too short that he cannot reach and his ear is not too deaf that he cannot hear. But your sins have separated between you and your God. And so that's basically what it was, was that whole sin that I had been carrying at that time was a separation between God, who I perceived to be in the heavens or in the sky or in the ceiling, and myself on earth. When I became a believer in Jesus and accepted the atoning death, his death on the cross and his resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins, uh, that I'd have an eternal life out of it and started to believe it and claim it and, and, and live that way, it was almost like that cloud, to a certain extent, had been moved out of the way. I won't say to complete out of the way, because the, the conscience, the guilt conscience of sin lingered actually until the day of my first my first confession, which I can get to after on. But I, but were the, you baptized? Yes, I was baptized in 1977. Um, it, we used the baptismal font of a local church, uh, believing in immersion, baptized in the name of Ha'av, Ha'ben, Baruch, HaKodesh. In Hebrew, the Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is an interesting little thing, because when I was coming into the Catholic Church, and I had a baptismal certificate, and it was written in Hebrew, in Hebrew with transliterated. And it was quite funny, actually, because they weren't sure what it said. They wanted to make sure I was baptized with the Tridentine, uh, sorry, the Trinitine formula. So they had sent down the certificate down to the Archdiocese to verify that it was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it was. Okay. So I didn't mean to that was kosher. No, no. derail you, but I think... No, no. That was kosher. It's very beautiful that, um, you know, to hear about the way one's interior life, basically, the... I, thou, the personal relationship with Jesus that uh, one needs one needs Christianity for, and, and it's very right. beautiful that that sure. He gave you that gift to to mercy. counterbalance a little bit the yeah. the uh, trial you were going through. Yeah, mercy and grace, and it's it's been mercy and grace ever since. Amen. And it's grace multiplied uh, incredible ways beyond. My wildest understanding, even to this very day, that the and I'm jumping a little bit, that the sacraments of the of the Catholic Church um, have given to me 
um, and I'm jumping a little bit, I hope you don't mind, but jumping into my soul to actually deal even deeper. You know, the whole Catholic experience um, is uh, everybody has a longing for God, and, and Jewish people have this intense longing for God, this cry to come in contact with him, and, the, and we can, they can and they approach him, uh, but you can't really get him deep into your kishkis, and that means our, the Jewish word for our intestines, you know, deep in our gut. And the Catholic Church, with the sacraments and the teachings and the Mass and the Eucharist and and confession, are 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 items and things, if I can use that term, have actually met that deepest spiritual need and longing and filling for myself as a Jewish person, um, that that are beyond my wildest dreams and imagination. That it, that the Catholic Church has has actually met that to the fullness. I, I couldn't agree more. I you know, as a child, I longed for nothing but. Uh, frankly, a personal relationship with God, a sense of knowing God and of God knowing me. And I never in my wildest dreams imagined that it could be fulfilled the way that I found it fulfilled once, yeah. once I came into the sacraments. I, I, it's, and it's a shame that Catholics, if Catholics, you know, very often cradle Catholics, um, think that they're imposing on people if they're evangelize or, you know, who am I to tell them not to be Jewish but to be Catholic or something like that. But if they were aware of of the desert that other people are in, you know, and the tremendous oasis, you know, with tr- fruit trees, you know, dripping fruit and, and gushers of water and stuff while everyone else is dying of starvation and, and thirst in the desert, they wouldn't see it that way. They would see it as nothing but but the most minimal act of charity to try to share the wealth with them. Yeah, not only that, but even for as far as the Jewish perspective is concerned, because, you know, I guess I we're skipping a few steps, but when I became, came into the Catholic Church in, in uh, Easter Vigil 2009, and actually before that, I began to realize that the Catholic Church is so Jewish. Um, the, you know, we can talk about a, a dozen or more topics of Catholic liturgy and prayer and style of worship and and um, the sacraments and the, even the furniture are so Jewish in the Catholic Church that, you know, here's an interesting thing to tell you um, that, you know, when I became a believer in Jesus, because I had did experience a lot of rejection from the, my Jewish community, I didn't know this, by the way, Roy, that I had somehow in my heart and in my spirit picked up a kind of a judgment against Judaism. And this this judgment, which was very insidious and very invisible in my own heart, and I wasn't aware of it, uh, against Judaism, Jewish tradition, um, Jewish sensitivities, Jewish worship, liturgy, everything, carried me through my years in the Messianic movement. It carried me through my years when I was involved in a large evangelical church in the city. And it was only when I came to the Catholic Church that finally that that uh, that um, anti-Jewish sentiment in my heart was exposed, and I realized that the Catholic Church is the total fulfillment of everything God intended, liturgically and worship-wise and experiential-wise, and, uh, and theolo- theolo- from a theological point of view. Uh, came from the Jewish people and Jewish understanding, and I realized that I had to repent of that issue. And it was only when I realized how Jewish Catholicism was that I realized that our Jewish people have the roots, but they're they're missing the fulfillment of all of it, and the fulfillment is in the Catholic faith. There's that's just no other way. And I was grateful for that revelation, actually. Well, I hope we we have time uh, later in the show to talk about some of those prefigurements of of right. the Catholic liturgy and 
even the Catholic sanctuary and so forth in Judaism. But we're we've abandoned you at about yeah, twenty one and university, so we'd better yeah. better I learned university in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and those things. I stayed stayed very strong to my faith in Jesus. Um, I got married at this Messianic congregation to my wife Sue, who's also a Jewish believer and is also now a, a Messianic Jew or Jewish Catholic. Um, we had two sons, uh, 25 and 28 right now, and um, also have become believers in Jesus, although not Catholic. And um, in the congregation, I was just involved in a lot of ministries. I eventually became what was called an interim pastor while they were looking for a pastoral. People said to me, Mark, you should become a pastor. And I never in my heart ever felt to do that. I'm actually glad I never did now looking back. Um, I used to lead communion services, <laughs> which is quite funny. I have lots of stories about that. Uh, but what happened after I became Catholic and the nature of communion in non-Catholic circles. Um, and then I became involved in what was called the Messianic Jewish Alliance of Canada, an umbrella organization that sort of seeks to unite the Messianic congregations and ministries in the nation, uh, akin to the one in the United States called the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America. In the States, they have this wonderful conference every year, which I would go to. I was involved with that. I was involved with what was going on in Canada, and I eventually became what was called president of the Messianic Jewish Alliance of Canada. I did that for six years. And then eventually I became the president of the International Messianic Jewish Alliance. I had a very strong vision for unity among Jewish believers wherever they were, whether they were in congregation, Messianic congregations, or evangelical churches. We never thought of Catholic churches in those days, by the way. Um, I could talk about that. But um, that's what my heart was, and um, it was during that time that I really got a vision of something universal as far as the Jewish, Messianic Jewish, and the Hebrew Christian, as it was called, movement. So I was involved with organizations and ministries and teaching, preaching, um, all those kinds of things. And it was quite interesting, quite fulfilling. Uh, then uh, we decided we need a little bit of a break from the Messianic world, and uh, we decided to, even though retain our Messianic Jewish identity, and I still was a Jew, and I was still Messianic, and we started attending a large evangelical church in the city, very uh, big one, which uh, focused on the, uh, the Holy Spirit and the, 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 the doctrine of the Father's love, uh, the love of the Father, which was very important uh, issue dealing with life's hurts and our images with, of our relationship with our fathers. What is our, you know, those kinds of things. And I began a, a period of intense uh, spiritual healing of hurts, um, judgments, sins, issues in my own heart, in my own life, in my relationship with my wife, believe it or not, my relationship with my father, uh, all kinds of things. And I began a, a period of healing and purging of certain things while I was in this evangelical church. At the same time, um, I had began to lead what was called a men's group. I started having a men's cell group, as it was called, had it in my home. Did that for about 10 years, I guess. And we started leading a, an intercession uh, meeting once a month at this church called Intercession for Israel, where we prayed specifically for the Jewish people, for Israel, all the issues, the military, prayed for them to come to faith in Jesus. Um, we prayed for the Arabs. We had guest speakers come in. It was quite a, a powerful time of uh, prayer for uh, these situations, very lively and very alive. It was very exciting. But it was in that, that evangelical church environment that a friend of mine said to me, you need to read this book. And I, and I started to hear things about contemplative prayer. And uh, the contemplative prayer 
you know, it's a prayer of seeking to find deeper unity with Jesus in sort of a nuptial kind of relationship. You know, the bride and the bridegroom, intimacy, love, all those those deep concepts. And though, somehow in my gut, I've been always searching for that before I was um, before I was a believer in Jesus, even as a Messianic Jew, and even in the evangelical church, looking for a deeper relationship uh, in that way. And they said to me, "Why don't you read this book by Father Dubay called The Fire Within?" It was a book about St. Teresa of Avila, St. Teresa of Jesus, and St. John of the Cross, two discalced Carmelite saints. I read this book, and Roy, literally, I felt like there was a fire in my soul. It took me a year to read this book, and I was so overwhelmed by what they had to say. They began to speak the language of my heart, but I didn't have the vocabulary. They had the vocabulary. But when I began to do some of my own research, I discovered that these people were Catholic. Oy vey, Catholic. How could it be Catholic and be so good? Because, you see, we were raised in uh, both in many environments in, as a um, sort of to be anti-Catholic. And I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. I, uh, well, I certainly uh, uh, more than empathize with that. I mean, uh, uh, when I had my experience of, of Christ, which, you know, was the start of everything, um, I I didn't know who this God was who was revealing himself to me. And I prayed, let me know your name. I don't mind if you're Buddha and I have to become Buddhist. You know, I don't mind if you're Apollo and I have to become a Roman pagan. As long as you're not Christ and I have to become right. a Christian, it was bad enough he was Christ. And then, and then, even then, I mean, even then, Jesus, at least, uh, how can I put this? You know, if it has to be Jesus, at least, God forbid, it doesn't have to be the Catholic Church. I mean, right. that's the worst of the right. worst. That's, you know, the Inquisition. That's, yeah. um, Hitler you know, the, was a Catholic, quote unquote. Excuse me? Hitler was a Catholic, quote unquote. Quote unquote. So, no, I, I, you know, empathize completely with that. And the only way I can see that now, of course, is that, you know, the devil has two enemies in the world, uh, you know, two, two groups that he particularly hates. It's the Jews because it's from the Jews who brought about his defeat yes. through the coming of Christ. That's right. And it's the Catholic Church, which is the ultimate source of his defeat at the end of time. So, uh, of course, he hates nothing more than the Catholic Church and the Jews. And you see that in anti-Semitism, and you see that in anti-Catholicism. Right. But I, I read this book, and I began to explore the discalced Carmelites online. And I didn't know what it meant, but I was a little bit nervous because they were Catholic. And it, uh, I said, oh, but but they're saying something that I desperately need to hear. So I began to look into both John of the Cross and uh, Teresa of Avila from an evangelical point of view. And I began to, in my own men's group, start teaching about contemplative prayer. I started bringing in Henry Nowen. I'm sure your your listeners know who Henry Nowen was. Um, you know, this, this writer who wrote very contemp- contemplatively. Um, uh, Brother Lawrence and his stuff, and Thomas St. Thomas Akempis. I started bringing that stuff into my men's group, and some of them loved it, and some of them went were scared by it and left. They said it sounds too Catholic. Somebody even called me a closet Catholic at the time. One of my men from my men's group, but I this is where my heart was being led. I couldn't couldn't help it. Uh, but I, I, I kept being allowed myself to be led. And then, and then uh, a friend of ours who had become reverts, in other words, they went back to the Catholic Church from the Evangelical Church, and we felt poor them. 
Um, they must really be feeling sad. There must be something wrong. They had to become Catholic again. Oh, well, we love them anyway. But they were good friends of ours. So, you know, again, you have to accept it. And they said, you know, Mark, you seem to be um, interested in a few of these Catholic things. Uh, why don't you check out EWTN, which is in the U.S., and Salt and Light, which is in Canada. And um, I said, well, okay, I'll check it out. And we got the cable stations. We have cable here in Canada for both those two stations. And I could not believe my eyes and my ears. And it was the first time I saw you, Roy. You were doing an interview with uh, uh, Marcus Grodi. And um, I was absolutely blown away uh, by Marcus Grodi's show, the, the coming journey home on Mondays, and Mother Angelica on Tuesday. The beauty, the joy, the love, the faith, the humility, the grace being poured out. And I kept having to pinch myself saying, yeah, but they're Catholic. How is that possible? They're Catholic, you know. Um, and, and I still was glued to those TV shows for the longest time. And I started watching both of them. And I, I started to, I think I even corresponded with you, Roy, a few times. <laughs> and... Um, and then John Paul II, uh, who's going to be St. John Paul II, passed away. We felt like it was our Pope who had died. We were crying, my wife and I. This is our Pope. Because how is this possible to be our Pope? We're not Catholic, and he is. <laughs> it was all sort of confusing. We were drawn on the one hand and confused on the other. But I kept on going, kept on seeing where God would lead this. And then I had a tragedy happen in 2007. My, my beloved sister passed away, very tragically, a massive heart attack. And um, it threw me into a major tailspin as far as my faith was concerned and my experience. We were so close, and I felt like I had partly died. And um, I didn't know where to go for comfort. I, I, I couldn't even pray at the time. It was too hard for me at the time. Um, um, I couldn't go to our evangelical church for that comfort because it was a little bit, um, how can I say it, politely and kindly. It was a little bit, uh, I won't say loud, but it was a little, they didn't really get the concept of suffering and pain, to be honest with you. So I said, I know what I'll do. I will find a Catholic church, and I will sit in the pew, and I will see, uh, just go there. And, uh, and that's what I did. I went to St. Timothy's in Toronto. I sat in the pew, staring at the crucifix, and it was in that church, in the pew, looking at the suffering Jesus on the cross, that I really felt God met me again. It's like I had a second kind of conversion, if you want to use that term loosely, I guess. Um, and I, I sensed the presence and the love of Jesus wrapping around me. And I said, what is this? What is in this place? What makes this place different from other churches? You know, you know, we say at Passover, why is this night different from all other nights? Well, why is this church different from all other churches? And um, I was totally overwhelmed. I would go there every day, sit in the pew, and just contemplate the cross. And that, that immensely helped me. On the wall, there was a notice posted for a, uh, seminars on prayer and contemplation. I said, that's exactly what I want to know about. So I said to my wife, I said, let's go. We should go every Tuesday night and go to this course. And she says, I don't want to go to a Catholic church. They pray to dead people. <laughs> There's Mary there. They pray to Mary and dead people. I, yeah, we don't believe in that stuff. I said, I, I want to go to this course. I said, I'm going. You don't have to come. She says, well, I guess I'll go with you anyway. So we went to this course. And every Tuesday night, they would talk about prayer. They would talk about St. Teresa. They talk about St. John of the Cross, St. Francis de Sales, you know, all the wonderful, uh, St. Catherine of Siena, all the wonderful mystics of the church. 
And I was so hungry, and it just started to feel feed the need in my heart even more. And, I, of course, that was the time I also went to Mass for the first time, because they had Mass before the, the, the talks. And, of course, Mass for a non-Catholic person can be a little confusing. When do you stand up? When do you sit down? When do you kneel? When do you, what do you say here? What do you say there? I don't know. I just, just went along with it. And But I'll tell you what happened, Roy. The most amazing thing started to happen. When the consecration began, and this is why this is such a central point of my life and for my wife as well. When the consecration began and the priest made that declaration, this is my body, this is my blood, I actually began to, in my imagination, see Jesus. And I can't tell your listeners how that happened, but in my heart and my spirit, if I could say, I began to see things like the altar being transformed into the crucifix, and our Lord is as on the cross. Another time I, I saw the high priest in the Holy of Holies with the glory cloud of God's presence sprinkling the blood, like is done on the Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, in the times of the Temple. I began to experience these things, and I began to have a revelation of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. He was so strong. And I remember all my years that I had learned about God the Father and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, and covenant God, and the God of our fathers. And I all this time learned about the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the energizer, revitalizer, life, the third person of the Most Holy Trinity, and learned about the Holy Spirit. And we'd learned about Jesus through understanding the Gospels, but I, and I had this relationship with him, but I never really, uh, how can I say, had uh, even a, a deeper one that I'm looking for, uh, because we had the Father, we had the Holy Spirit, we knew of Jesus, we knew Jesus, but I said, where is Jesus in all of this whole thing? Because in a lot of environments, he's not the greatest focus. And when I saw the Eucharist, when I saw the Mass happening, I said to my wife, I said, there's Jesus, there he is. And I began to understand that body, soul, body, blood, soul, and divinity, he is there in his resurrected form, in the, the transformation, the, the transubstantiation, the changing of that, that bread and that wine to his most precious body and most precious blood. And there is the culmination of everything I have been looking for, and I so desperately wanted to take communion. I wanted to. Now, I'd had communion in other environments, and I used to lead communion services, but in the non-Catholic world, they're symbols, they're memorials, and they're beautiful in their way, but they were not the same thing. I wanted Jesus. And um, I went to the church leaders or the pastor, the priest, and I said, "Can I? may I take communion? I believe in the real presence, and I would like to take communion. I'm not Catholic. And they said, no, you may not. And so at that point, I figured I have two choices here. I could walk away and say, well, it was great knowing you guys. I've learned a lot, but maybe I'm not good enough for you, so I'll go. Or I could honor the rules of the church, humble myself, cross my arms in the communion line and just see where God takes us. And I chose chose the latter, and I'm so glad I did. Uh, every time I went up to get a blessing, it was uh, I would come closer to the Eucharist, the consecrated host, and I would actually be trembling in my boots. I, I think as Catholics, if we really, really contemplated and understood what is really happening at Mass, it is not just a simple prayer. It is not just a simple action. It is an action. It is a prayer. But there's something that's supernatural beyond our human understanding that, trans- that takes place at church 
during the Eucharist that is beyond our understanding, if we would open our hearts and our eyes to the, the depth of the reality that Jesus is really present, I think we would be, we would be, we would transform our lives, we would fall in love more deeply with our blessed Savior, and we would uh, live lives, supernatural lives of grace and love and holiness, and he would help us to this. Anyway, um, I decided to go forward, and then our friends who were reverts said, you know, why don't you check out something called RCIA? I said, no, wait a minute. This, You know, I don't mind, you know, going to Mass. I don't mind reading stuff, but, you know, I don't know about this RCIA thing. I said, I, I have to see. So I, I picked up a catechism, and I began to read it, and I began to see whether it was safe to be a Jew in the Catholic Church. And to my great surprise and great joy, everything that the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches is incredibly honoring of the Jewish roots of the faith. I said, I know it's now safe to be a, to be a Jew in the Catholic Church. And I began to devour the Catechism. I loved that document. So I began RCIA, and uh, because I had been a catechized believer already, they figured it would be better for me to do it one-on-one, and that's what I did. Uh, the first topic I had to nail down, if I can use that term, was the, the place of Mary. Now, for non-Catholics, Mary is a, a good Jewish young woman who was chosen by God to give birth to the, the Messiah. She was a virgin birth. It was a virgin birth. But afterwards, she and Joseph had many children. And so, and that she's nothing special, but that's it. And... Um, it was a little bit hard for me to sort of get over that one until somebody said to me, you know, Mark, um, everything in the Bible is true, but not everything that's true is in the Bible. And that really spoke to me. And I began to explore the church's doctrines of Mary, uh, both from the catechism, but also from the scriptures. And I went away believing that she is the mother of God and the, the mediatrix of all graces and the, the wonderful friend an intercessor that we desperately need and who loves us. And I, I say now that everybody needs a Jewish mother. <laughs> if anybody knows what a Jewish mother is, she is the, the Jewish mother par excellence, without the shtick and without the, yeah. <laughs> the nonsense, but the really, the real deal. Let me, um, let me uh, jump in for a couple yeah, of reasons. Ahead. One is just um, to let listeners know if you've just tuned in in the last 10 or 15 minutes, that you're listening to Radio Maria, you're listening to the show Salvation is from the Jews, with your host, me, Roy Shoman, and my guest today, who's another very, very, very grateful Jewish entrant into the Catholic Church, uh, Mark Neugebauer, who is giving his witness testimony and, and speaking of what he discovered in the Catholic Church. So that's the little commercial introduction, but let me also make a little comment on, on your comment about Mary as our Jewish mother, who we all need, which is not only do we have a Jewish mother, but we have a Jewish mother who just happens to be the spouse of God. Yes. So that's a Jewish mother in pretty high places. Yeah. And I remember from Jewish teaching, Jewish theology, uh, you can see it in the Old Testament, that the original form in Judaism of marriage was uh, the spousal act, and it was actually entering into spousal intimacy between a man and a woman, which which affected the marriage. There was no wedding or marriage other than the spousal act, which then made the two people spouses forever. Mm-hmm. And that's actually still the case in Jewish theology, that 
um, and I won't go into details, but in ultra-Orthodox circles, there's even an element to the wedding celebration, which is, you know, could be seen as a rather vulgar illustration of the fact that it's a spousal act that affects the marriage. So if, if the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived Jesus, then by Jewish lights, they are wed, and Mary is not only the mother of Jesus, but she's the spouse of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that is a permanent relationship. So not only do we have a Jewish mother, but we have a Jewish mother in very, very high places. Wow, that is so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. That is so beautiful. Wow. Um, well, it's one of my shticks, but you can't have the whole time with just nope. your shticks. But go back it. to your shticks now. I love it. Anyway, I'm, I'm, um, so I'm, every topic we covered, whether it was the sacraments, each of the sacraments, uh, whether it was the issue of purgatory, the magisterium, the papacy, I walked away from each of those talks, the one-on-one talks, believing in the truth of each one. And I began to pray during Mass. You know, before they changed the liturgy in November, last November, I think it was, when they, they used to, we used to say, uh, I'm not, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you. Only say the word and I shall be healed. I would pray, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, because I couldn't, I wasn't Catholic, but only say the word and I shall become Catholic. I would actually pray that at Mass every single time. And um, as I was praying that, I finally came to the point where I, I, I had to make a decision somewhere along the way. I thought, can I, can I now walk away from this glorious, beautiful, traditional, historical, colorful, brilliant, and radiant Catholic Church with its richness of liturgy, richness of faith, the tradition of the saints, the writings of the popes, can I walk away from all of that beauty and glory and say it was a great experience and go back to where I was, or do I have to make a decision and go forward and become Catholic? And I finally said to the Lord, okay, finally, okay, God, I'll I'll become Catholic, but I need you to connect me with a Jewish Catholic. Now, I had seen you on TV, Roy, and I'd seen uh, Rosalind Moss, who's now Mother Miriam, on television, on AWTN. I've heard about a few others, but it wasn't the same kind of thing. I needed something a little deeper in my heart. And I, and I, I God, I believe God was speak, spoke to my heart and said, I've already sent you one. What more do you want? And I happened to have been reading the biography of Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, who the discalced Carmelite nun who was from Germany, it was sent to the Netherlands because of World War II and the persecution of the Jews in Germany, and was eventually taken to Auschwitz uh, to perish uh, with her sister Rosa. And I'm reading this biography, and I feel that's that's it. She was Jewish. She was a Catholic. She died in Auschwitz, the very camp my father was rescued for, sur- survived. I will become Catholic. And I said to my wife, Sue, this is just for me. You don't have to do any of these things. I'm going to do it. And I did. <laughs> and I had my first confession, my first communion. I had the sacraments first time, the confirmation uh, in December, in uh, April, sorry, the Easter Vigil 2009. And I'll tell you, Roy, I have been having fun ever since. I'm not talking about hoop da da and la-di-da kind of fun. I'm having a joy in my spirit and my soul of being Catholic um, ever since. Can, can you talk a little bit about, because, of course, the one terrible disadvantage that cradle Catholics have is they have nothing to compare um, being Catholic to. Um, 
Okay, well, I can yeah, about right your now. experience of uh, Holy Communion, your experience yeah. of the Sacrament of Confession, um, you know, just sort of whether you had any s- sensible perception yes. of what was going on, whether it changed yeah, can, your interior life, so forth. Conf- conf- sorry, confession is very powerful for me. I'll tell you why. Uh, all the years being a Messianic Jew and, and, and being Messianic Jewish and in the Evangelical Church, we were always taught and believed that you, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you our sins, forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, as it says in the Scriptures in First John. And I believe that you can pray and ask God to forgive you. Forgive me, Lord, for the sin. Forgive me for that. And ask for the blood of Jesus to cleanse us for our sins. I believe that. I said, however... Despite my asking forgiveness for all the sins of, uh, during my life, I still had this consciousness or conscience sense of guilt that was still lingering over my in my heart, my mind, and my conscience. It was still, in other words, it was still there. The sin was still there somehow. And when I had my first confession, and I had to confess, uh, let me see now. I don't know how, remember how old I was. Over 50 years of sin. Uh, based on the seven uh, mortal sins, um, when I confessed that and the priest uh, pronounced absolution, I absolve you of all your sins and made the sign of the cross, it was almost like the 50 or so years of sin, the, the accusation of the enemy, the, the consciousness of what I had done wrong was broken and gone forever. And I felt free for the first time in so many years. And I, I, I'm a firm believer in uh, weekly confession because I am so weak. I was, that's one of my shticks. Uh, but, I, but confession for me is incredibly powerful. Um, that there's nothing like the authority of anointed priest of God in persona Christi Capitis, in the, the person of Christ the head, Jesus himself who is absolving you from your sins. There's nothing more powerful than that. And that, for me, is incredibly, uh, incredibly powerful. The Eucharist still plays a central role in my faith and my life. And ever so now and then, I, I keep saying to myself, I could never walk away from the Eucharist. I don't know how anybody can walk away from Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament. I hate to put you on the spot, but okay. do you feel any sense, what, what I think spiritual theology calls sensible consolation? Do you... Do you feel, you know, some effect of uh, receiving communion? Absolutely. I feel Jesus in such an intimate way at that moment. Uh, I feel like his presence just even deeper and more intimately than I've ever experienced uh, faith and our, our Lord in any other form, fashion, or way before. Uh, because there is no other way. You have, you have to come through the blood of Jesus. You have to come through the sacrament of reconciliation, penance, or confession, whatever way you want, with the with the absolution and, and the sign of the cross and the blood of the cross uh, poured over our souls and our hearts and our minds to give us that access to God. And then when we, the reception of His most holy body and most precious blood, um, we are, we are we cannot be more intimate than at that moment. And He and He honors all of that because what we're doing is we're receiving Jesus into ourselves in His flesh and blood. You know. Earthen vessels, as, as St. Paul talks about, we're, ex- we're f- experiencing him in our depth, not just in our, in our mouths and our stomachs, but in our souls and our spirits. We're, we're, we're one with him, and it, it, that's incredibly powerful, and I experience that unity when that happens. Let, let me just put in another commercial interruption, which is um, that what you say makes very evident that those few minutes after receiving communion are an especially graced period for prayer. 
And when people receive communion and immediately distract themselves or dart out of the church or don't, you know, pray a little bit at the end of Mass in that state of intimacy with Jesus, they're really depriving themselves of a great gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like he's come, he's in us, stay a while, you know, let's let's stay. You know, somebody comes to your house, you don't open the door and let them in and say, well, i got to go now. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I don't want to get parked in, you know. I'm sorry, so I have to go now. I've got something else to do. You know, there's That's a right. rest of the other. <laughs> something more important than an intimate yeah. spousal relationship with yeah. God itself. It's, yeah. it's so precious and so powerful, and I can't underscore it deeply how it has it, 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 we are made for this. Uh, we are, we are, you know, uh, St. Augustine says, you know, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And um, I had a restless heart, even though knowing Jesus and in all those other places, until we came to that rest of the place of intimacy in the, the loving arms of, of the church and everything the church has for us. There's nothing on the planet like it. I can't say it even more. I know I'm getting emotional about it, but I don't, I don't care. I'm not apologizing. But I think, I think we really, really, really need to think about and avail ourselves of all the graces that are there for us that God has poured out for, because He loves us so intimately, He loves us so, so much, and He desperately wants us to be with Him, um, that we have there for us in the church, and uh, there's nothing like it. Amen. You know, when you were talking about um, Jesus being present at Mass, I couldn't help thinking that not only is Jesus present at every Mass, but at every Mass, we are present at Calvary. Mm. And Calvary was the cost of him being present to us in the Eucharist. For sure. So not only does he want to unite himself with us, you know, at the Mass through the Eucharist, but it's also worthwhile to, to be aware of, of how much he wanted to and the price that he yes. gratefully and gladly paid for it. Yeah. I remember once early on, uh, you, you described your experience of, um, you know, seeing the high priest in your mind's eye or in, in your soul at mass and so forth. And I've never had experiences like that, but I remember once uh, early on uh, after I entered the church, I was at a mass and they had a uh, hanging crucifix with a corpus over the altar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when the priest, lifted the chalice, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. Jesus on the cross above him, and and the chalice and the precious blood kind mm-hmm. of became part of one picture. And it was as though, of course, it was Jesus' you know, blood that he poured out over the cross that made the Mass and made communion and made the Eucharist. Absolutely. So, amen. Um, and as long as I hijack things, let me finish the hijack with, when you mentioned... Um, even though you confessed your sins as a, um, I don't want to say as a Protestant, but before you came into the church, uh-huh. um, you didn't feel the complete lifting of, of the stain of sin like you did after confession. It reminded Correct. me of, um, of uh, Claude de la Colombière, St. Claude de la Colombière, who was the confessor of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, who received the Sacred Heart apparitions. Uh, he was her spiritual director. And so St. Margaret Mary was receiving these apparitions, and her spiritual director, Claude de la Colombière, you know, didn't believe it was really Jesus appearing to her or wanted proof. So he said to her, the next time he appears to you, ask him what my last sin was. Hmm. And that way, you know, you know, I'll know that it's really Jesus when you tell me what my last sin was. So when Jesus appeared to Mar- Margaret Mary Alacoque, she asked him, you know, what what was my spiritual director's last sin? 
And Jesus' answer was, uh, I don't remember. He confessed it, so oh, I forgot it. That's so beautiful. That is so, very precious. And when she told him, he then believed it was really Jesus. That's precious. So, um, anyway, I'm sorry. I, I kind of, um, you know, pulled you off your uh, track there. Did you, you want to resume the, the bullet so much, train? There's so much to say, Roy. I, I keep talking. Uh, uh, well, let me just well, let me suggest the following, which is we only have uh, seven or eight minutes left in today's show. I now officially hereby invite you back for a show in the very near future to, um, I don't want to say give some teachings, but I know that you have developed your thoughts quite a bit about the parallels between Jewish liturgy and, and Catholic liturgy and so forth. So. I'm, I, I promise, I, and I'm sure that our listeners are very eager to have you back to talk about that. So just in the last few minutes we have, um, because you're the first uh, Messianic Jew or former Messianic Jew I've had on the show, and I get a lot of questions about Messianic Judaism and the movement and so forth, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, your heart is clearly for the Jewish people. So let me just invite you to either talk about how, you know, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know in my case, my heart kind of goes out to Messianic Jews because they have so much in having found Jesus, and yet they're still leaving so much by the wayside and not having the sacraments of the Catholic Church and so forth. So maybe if you could just talk a little bit about about your full life with Christ in the Catholic Church and your knowledge of Messianic Judaism, that would be a good way to tie things up. Well, I, I'm, I'm a firm, I firmly believe that God has allowed the uh, calling or the establishment of the Messianic Jewish movement in this time and age. Um, when it began in its infancy, in the early 1800s actually, it was called the Hebrew Christian movement. And there were Jews who were part of different denominations, churches, Baptists, Anglican, etc., brethren, who had this desire to live a more culturally relevant lifestyle outside of their attendance to their uh, to their local assemblies. And they began to form little communities called Hebrew Christian Alliance communities or, or chapters or branches, I should say, in different countries. Um, in the 70s, they decided to change the name, make it more culturally relevant from Hebrew Christian to Messianic Jewish. This now you're in the 1970s? Now the 1970s. And, um, and this movement has basically exploded throughout the world in so many different countries. The place that I feel that it has the strongest influence and place is in Israel. And the reason I say that is because here you have Jews who are Israelis or transplanted uh, Jews from the diaspora who made Aliyah, meaning they become citizens of the modern state of Israel, who are living an Israeli lifestyle, who believe in Jesus or believe in Yeshua, and have an outgoing witness to the Jewish people using Jewish forms, music, style, um, not so much liturgy, because they're very non-liturgical in, the, in Israel, um, but very culturally relevant, and uh, speak to the Israeli in their own language, so to speak. And they meet, for example, on Friday nights or Saturday mornings, will acknowledge the feasts and festivals of Israel, and they uh, practice uh, a lifestyle that's fulfilled in Jesus, but it, um, it is culturally relevant to the people they're reaching out. Consequently, they're having a great success in the society of, of Israel. The Israeli young people who are believers serve in the army and they're exemplary models 
of citizenship and, and favor with uh, people around them. These Messianic Jews in Israel experience a lot of persecution, not so much from the average run-of-the-mill Israeli, but secular, pretty secular, by the way, but from Orthodox Jews in Israel who don't really want them there. And um, so I, I give them a lot of credit, and I believe that they are a movement for the time. It would be really great, if I can just throw a little thing out here, if somehow um, in our Catholic um, expression, I'm not saying we should, we need to temper with the Mass in any way or anything, but that we had also continued to develop a kind of a, um, a culturally uh, a favoring environment for Jewish people who want to come into the Catholic Church, either from the Messianic movement or from secular Judaism or whatever, but also to understand that some of the the forms, the music, and the, the and some of the terminology that we use could be a, a little bit more quote unquote messianic. In other words, to be more outreaching, and that's what the purpose of the, the messianic movement was. Uh, but in the cities of North America and in Europe, where they are, they they stand as a uh, visible witness to Yeshua as the Jewish Messiah. And by virtue of the fact that they are there, they are, they are evangelists in their own right. And they take a lot of persecution in the cities around the world. They take it also in Israel mainly. But like the Catholic Church, they're, they're a very visible target because they are not well liked generally by society because people will say, well, are you Christian or are you Jewish? You can't be both. And they're saying, yes, we can. So, um, they don't have the sacraments and they don't understand the church and uh, their theology is very much a mixed bag you know if you were to ask secular jews what their doctrine of messiah is you will get as the proverb says four jews will get five opinions with messianic jews they won't have a disagreement on who the messiah is but if you were to talk about things like the second coming the afterlife uh, heaven uh, how is sin atoned for uh, what happens, what is the nature of the church community, so to speak, you're going to get a lot of different opinions. So um, even among the Messianic movement, they're not very united. In Israel, as a matter of fact, even though they're, they're, they're very popular with their worship and their music and their cultural outreaches, they're not very unified as a movement at all. And, however, I, as I said before in the beginning, I do believe they're God's, they have, God has a purpose for them for this day and this time. Well, I, I just want to second that, that, you know, God bless them because at least um, they are evangelizing Jews. At least they're out Absolutely. there. At least they're trying to bring Jews to the fullness, yes. uh, to the Jewish Messiah. Yes. Um, maybe I'd feel different about Messianic Jews if the street corners were full of Catholics trying to bring Jews to the Jewish Messiah, but it isn't. No. Um, so, uh, anyway, I, tragically we're out of time, but, but the good news is we have time in other weeks. So I'm going to have to say thank you and goodbye for today, and I hope to have you back. I hope you'll I agree to join us uh, very soon, Mark. So do you want to say goodbye? Do you have any last word? Well, God bless you all, folks. And I, if I could just ask you to do one thing. Uh, when you are in your saying your prayers, uh, please add your prayers, as the scripture says, for the peace of Jerusalem, but mostly for the spiritual peace of Jerusalem, because true peace will not come to the Jewish people, will not come to the Arab people, will not come to anybody unless they come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And what better way to come to the fullness of grace 
is through the, the witness and the testimony of our beloved Catholic Church. So if I can ask you to pray for the Jewish people, pray that they would actually have a revelation of Jesus and want to know what makes you different than anybody else, what makes you different from the average Christian or the average non-Jew, and have an answer for, for the hope that lives within you. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Mark, and, and thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. And join us again next week on Salvation is from the Jews. Bye for now. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman.